What is it like to find ourselves enwrapped in God's pure pleasure? For unless we know and have some taste of it, we'll just stay trapped in mere materiality. And though God's pleasure lies within himself alone, so that the greatest pleasure we can know is that which comes from being in his own eternal presence, still, he takes great pains to make sure that his glory is made known to summon us to him. Welcome to the Inverse Theology Project. I'm T.M. Moore. This is Volume 23, Number 2, Creational Theology. In Christian practice, an icon is a painting which intends, beyond itself, to suggest or indicate something about God. We gaze at the icon because it is lovely and mysterious, but we look through the icon with the eye of the heart to see the larger reality to which it points. We want to glimpse something of God and of His will. In this respect, all creation is an icon. God reveals himself through it, and we may expect to learn much about him by carefully attending to the witness of creation. But what does this entail? Well, that's the theme of this installment of the Inverse Theology Project. This is part four of Creation's Praise. The vast world is an icon. It is there and real, not just in a material sense, but as a portal, traveled through by prayer to somewhere greater and more vast, immense, and beautiful than what this world displays. The creatures of the cosmos are all dense with otherworldly life, which, if we raise our sensors high enough, we can engage to know great joy and overflow with praise. And just here lies the challenge— We can gauge the cosmos and its many creatures, take their measure, sort, and classify them page by page, and we can hold them, taste them, make things with them, put them to good use, refine, transform, and trade with them, and we can slake our thirst and fill our bellies as we dine on them. Then we can throw them all away and start again to cultivate and mine the riches of creation day by day and never stop to think that this largesse is anything but stuff on which we pray to satisfy our lusts. And so we bless ourselves, content but to consume what we are given. Doing so, we fail a test set to us by the Lord himself to see if we will take him at his word, look through creation as an icon spiritually, see his eternal glory calling to us, and give him the worship he is due. Of course, the senses have a role in our discerning that which God has hidden of himself throughout creation, but the power we need to pass the test and rise above this mundane plane to majesties on high, there to delight in God and in his love, is more than touch or smell, than ear or eye or tongue alone can generate. We will make good use of these senses as we try creation's mysteries, but not until their observations penetrate the heart of faith will we be able to distill our casual impressions part by part into those spiritual elixirs by which we are quickened and our spirits start to be more conscious of that realm on high from which God calls us to himself. We must engage the eye of faith If we would try the wonders of creation, from the dust that floats around and settles everywhere, to distant stars and planets, the adjustment we require is first to turn to prayer, to seek God in whatever icon of creation we are contemplating. There will be some hint of him and of his love to be discovered, but we must believe that this is so. Then turn our thoughts above and through the icon that we may receive whatever 
insight, glimpse, or glance God may be pleased to grant before we take our leave of him. Thus we must learn to wait, to stay put gazing, contemplating, peering through the icon, seeking what the Lord might say about himself, and calling on him to engage with us. What do our senses tell us? What ideas or what impressions do they offer that might bring us to the well of spiritual refreshment? Colors, sounds, dimensions, shapes, contours, and textures swell as we consider them, and grace abounds directing our attention by the thing we're looking through to help us break the bounds of mere materiality and bring us into holy confines. We know he is in there. Glory is in everything. We call, like Moses, Jesus, let me see your glory, gazing, praying, waiting for him to receive us to himself, that we might know his pleasure. This and nothing more, for this is what he holds for us in store. What is it like to find ourselves enwrapped in God's pure pleasure? For unless we know and have some taste of it, we'll just stay trapped in mere materiality. And though God's pleasure lies within himself alone, so that the greatest pleasure we can know is that which comes from being in his own eternal presence, still he takes great pains to make sure that his glory is made known to summon us to him. And oh, what gains of joy and peace and confidence await each one who heeds that summons and remains in patient waiting till the Lord, the gate to his eternal presence, opens to him. Hasten then, and do not hesitate to see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and do whatever you must do to see our Lord in every icon of creation you encounter, looking to his holy word, to guide your outbound journey to the Lord. So let us undertake an exercise in merging with God's presence through the things of culture and creation. Close your eyes. Relax as your imagination brings you to the courtyard of the sacred tent which Moses built and which so loudly sings the pleasure of the Lord. The people went to great expense and craftsmanship to build the tabernacle, and its every vent and curtain, board and holy vessel thrilled the worshippers with shimmering beauty and reminders of redemption, how God willed and worked to get his people to the land of promise. Candles splashed their flickering light against the golden furniture. The stand from which they flamed suggests the might of God and his eternal truth. Along the curtained canopy and walls, the bright accoutrements in red and blue, a strong impression make of blood and royalty, lamb's blood upon a lintel all night long, and God asserting his great sovereignty against a cruel and unjust people. Sweet smells fill the room, and with your heart's eyes see, beyond the holy veil, the mercy seat, the ark with cherubim attending and the Lord himself enthroned, his burnished feet and radiant face concealed, we understand. But since his word assures us, we can know that he is with us, close to where we stand. The sights, sounds, smells, and textures, and the glow of living light on polished bronze and gold, the mystery of God, that we can know him in his beauty, just as we are told in Scripture, and delight in all that he has done for us, to know he does not scold, condemn, nor scorn us, but intends that we, in all these lovely things, should gain a taste of his own pleasure, and should thrill to see a glimpse of him, that he is lovely, chaste, all-powerful, and here among us, all converges on us. Nothing goes to waste in drawing our affections through the wall of veiling by the eye of faith to feel the pleasure 
of his presence. Heed his call and summons, and rejoicing, know the real assurance of his love, a holy seal. Visit our website, www.ilba.org, to discover the wealth of resources available to help you grow in your walk with and work for the Lord. Next, in Volume 23, Historical Theology, we continue our survey and overview of the lives of Irish saints recorded in a book by that name, translated by Charles Plummer. Until then, for the Fellowship of Ilba and the Inverse Theology Project, this is T.M. Moore.